It's Baby Crazy. I'm Lee Schneider. Jennifer Walker and Laura Hunter were on-call nurses for a busy pediatric practice in Atlanta. They realized parents needed help with their questions and they needed fast answers. They found during their in-home visits, parents often had the same concerns like, why do babies fuss or why is my baby crying? So they made a folder in simple outline form. That was the start of Moms on Call. Three books and two apps later, plus a worldwide consulting practice through various digital communications like phone, email, and video conferencing, Moms on Call has become a consultation service for parents who need practical, real-life answers. Some of us live near grandma or near parents or friends who can give us advice. For those of us who don't, who can you ask who has years of experience and the most up-to-date information? You can try calling your pediatrician every few minutes, I know. I remember trying that. Or there's Moms on Call. Here's my conversation with Jennifer Walker. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Lee. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. When we spoke before the podcast, you were telling me that parents with multiple children of varying ages are dealing with different parts of the brain, even to be parents. They have to navigate a brand new landscape. Well, that seems true, but it's a kind of a giant topic. How do you help parents get a handle on all those changes? Well, what we've been noticing recently is that we have parents of differing ages. We have parents who have children of differing ages. So you may have a teenager, 14-year-old, and then have a baby or, you know, you have a toddler and a seven-year-old and a teenager and a, you know, five-year-old. And these different stages of life require such a different part of our brain as a parent to process. That older kid is right in the throes of decision-making, and yet this toddler is figuring out what these arms do, you know, (laughs) they're just living in the moment. And so it can be really daunting, especially for an older parent who's been through this before in a different landscape. We have so many changes that, you know, the digital world has brought to us, some of them wonderful and some of them challenging. And um, so, you know, what we try and do for parents in all of these different situations with children of different ages is to give them permission for their children to be different, number one. <laughs> you know, they're, all kids are not going to be exactly like their brother or their sister or behave or respond in the same way. And, and we also try and encourage them to not make everything quite as complicated, but to bring back that simple, in-the-moment ability to handle and manage each different child as they're designed in each different season of life. Kind of let them know what's expected here. You know, toddlers don't respond to reason. We never have a toddler saying, oh, I'll, um, you know, choose the broccoli. It's never too early to be heart healthy. Um, (laughs) Make those great decisions on the basis of future outcomes and, and giving parents permission to live with them in that really freeing moment as a toddler and to be able to communicate to their kids at their different stages and the ways that they receive communication. Babies learn through uh, routine and they learn just by the certain things that we put in place for them each day. They learn by association. Toddlers, they are very, very simple and they just need a basic truth and some encouragement. Well, simple sounds good to me. There's one thing about older parents is that they really want to get 
parenting right. They do the research. Some may have gone through a fertility process or it just took a long time to get pregnant. And now finally, the baby's here and they're worried that they need to get everything just right. So how do you get those over 40 parents to calm down a little bit? What we've noticed is that, yes, the older the parent is and the harder that they had to try to get this child, the more pressure that they put on themselves. They just want to get it right. Like we tried so hard to have this baby. Now there is no room for error. You know, once we're successful and it's just an intense pressure and and they're some of the most wonderful and receptive parents to partner with because they do. They're fantastic by virtue of wanting to do everything right. They are actually providing such a wonderful atmosphere for their child. And we want these parents to be able to enjoy this process and to take that deep breath and to enjoy the moments. And in order to do that, we have to invite these parents to do a couple of things. Number one, we have to invite them to throw out the idea that the thing that they need to make a well-adjusted child is perfection. So that's not an ingredient in a well-adjusted child. I always say um, I liken perfect parents to unicorns. I've heard they exist, but I've never seen one. And I'm not one. Uh, perfection's not on the table. So let's just take that off the table and recognize that, in fact, in our mistakes and in our uh, searching for you know, the right way to do things, quote unquote, um, we actually are doing it right. But that's the way these kids are designed to be able to withstand our parenting challenges and the things that we do right, the things that we say right, and the things that we don't. And far be it for any child to bear the extraordinary burden of being raised by the perfect parent. Uh, what we want is a loving parent. <laughs> and what we want is, you know, a parent that is free to enjoy the different challenges of life with their child. So we throw that idea of perfection out the window and just invite parents to really enjoy. We're not going to be perfect, but we do want to help them feel more effective and less stressed. And that means sometimes just discarding some of the habits that are not effective, um, like putting okay at the end of every sentence, giving too many options when there are non-optional activities. You know, do you want to eat is a question we often ask our toddlers. There's lots of reasons why a toddler's not ready to eat. I'm not done playing yet. <laughs> this is a lot more fun than that. I don't like to be strapped into that, you know, seat that you have for me at the table. So just inviting them in and, and helping parents to establish the simple truth and then act on that truth so that they can enjoy this really amazing time with their kids, putting it very simply in order for them to kind of see what life looks like in our household. Oh, yeah, mealtime's non-optional. Sleep times are non-optional. And, you know, really being able to enjoy some of those primary markers of the day especially with feeding. It happens too many times a day for it to be a complete frustration, you know, at every meal. So, you know, we really like to partner with those parents and, and give them the freedom. Um, one of the things I love to say, Lee, is it's important to recognize that your child's behavior is not an indication of your self-worth. I want to give them the freedom to be real, to misbehave, to experience life, its frustrations. Great parents have kids that misbehave. We're not making perfectly behaved robot toddlers. We're really in this 
this relationship with um, children who just want to know how life works, how do people work? And, you know, they're all designed a little bit differently, but absolutely an incredibly magnificent in all the different ways that they come. There's so much there. Let's unpack a little bit. Simplicity, you know, starting with simplicity, as older parents in particular, we're complex. You know, we've been around, we have some life history, but there's tremendous wisdom in the younger parent just kind of who may just go for the basics of life. That can be very freeing, as you've said. Younger parents, they might just want more sleep and they're going to try to get it. And this this tracks back to something you mentioned a moment ago about getting complicated and we don't really need to. It's better, especially with a younger child, toddler age or thereabouts, to state things very simply. Sometimes we over-explain. Now, it's different, you know, if you have a kid who's 28, 30, you know, an adult, you're in a complex world. But if you have a kid who's six or four or two, it's a different world than our world. And I think it takes a little getting used to, especially if you're an older parent and You're talking to adults all day, and suddenly here you have this young mind who's not quite ready to hear all that complexity. So you have to imagine coach people on that a bit. Like you're saying, it's instead of offering the choice, are you hungry? You say, it's dinner time. Exactly. And Lee, you make a really great point. As adults, especially ones who are socially talented, when we're talking to other adults and we get those indicators that maybe they're not understanding what we say, you know, we try and explain it in a different way or a different, um, you know, method. And with toddlers and younger kids and elementary age kids, really what they require is the same simple thing over and over again. And so, Again, establishing that truth. What is the truth in this situation? And then expressing that in a simple way. And we tend to over-explain. And kids come in different designs. There's about five primary designs. We talk about it in our app. Try and keep that simple so we know what motivators our kids are really after, what motivates them. And I think the biggest challenge, especially if you have a child that's motivated by the social things of life, they're motivated by facial expressions and reactions and human interaction. They are the easiest kids to start to over-explain things to. A social kid loves to just watch your face and have that one-on-one time with you. And so they seem like they're really listening to everything that you say, and we can populate their vocabulary very easily. So, you know, take for instance at night, you know, that social child needs uh, another cup of water, they need to go potty, they need to, you know, have this special stuffed animal. And, you know, as a parent, you're thinking, oh, you know, I can't say that they can't have a cup of water, what parent would not give water to their child who's asking for it? When, you know, then you bring the water and it's not in the right color sippy cup and it's not the right temperature. And all of a sudden you find yourself, you know, trying to appease this child who really 
just wants to continue to have the engagement. It was never about the water in the first place. It was just about that continued engagement, trying to, you know, keep what I call the lookometer filled. They just want somebody there looking at them and interacting with them. And it doesn't matter. They'll use all the words that they know will get a reaction. Water, poopy, I'm scared. There's lots of those words that that they use just to continue to maintain our presence. And I'll often tell parents, it is a compliment to you um, that your kids want to have that extra time right before bed. I cannot make you any less interesting to be with. So we'll have to make that non-optional sleep environment on behalf of this child who won't make that decision for themselves. They'll always choose people over sleep, but we've got to choose sleep for them. And at Moms on Call, we always tell parents right before bed, we'll give them three household rules they can understand. And then we say, I love you. I believe in you. And I'll see you when the sun comes up. And that's just that simple and truthful element of how nighttime works. And then, you know, we'll close that door and, you know, let nighttime unfold. And the social child, again, isn't going to go, oh, thank you for explaining that so well. I'll just quietly drift off to sleep now, Uh, you know, because they learn by repetition. So that needs to be in place. We put, um, you know, both our words and our actions behind those things. And then the real need that they have for that security and the rest and the basics of life gets met by virtue of the repetitive truth that happens predictably every night. What we found is that relational element, being the support of the parent so the parent can be the support of the child, really has such a powerful effect. And then everybody's resting better, and then you have more brain cells to devote to the other kids of other ages that might be, you know, presenting their own challenges. But um, it really is helpful to make it simple and consistent. and to recognize that kids are a bit different. They'll have different challenges depending on how they're designed, but there is a consistency with being simple and truthful and repetitive and letting that do the work for you. Let that do the heavy lifting instead of all the explaining and over-explaining and, you know, asking questions. What do you want the light on? Do you want it off? Do you want the window open? Do you want it closed? Do you want the teddy bear? Do you want the stuff? Do you want me to stand on my head, recite the constitution? Like, no, I, but I'm enjoying watching you ask me all these questions. You know, that's entertaining. This idea of simplicity is super important. You know, we always think that we're dealing with a peer, especially when you have a really articulate kid with a lot of words and it's easy to be fooled. It's just the facade is there. The words are there. But as you pointed out, there's a subtext going on of maybe I just want to keep this conversation going because I want to be with you. Well, it's been really fascinating. You know, we tried to find a way to help parents to recognize that some of the challenges they face are not necessarily because of a poor parenting style. Um, A lot of the challenges they face are because toddlers are designed differently. And we've talked about the social child. You know, they're motivated by human interaction. They just need that lookometer filled. They're um, usually very charming and they can have a very broad vocabulary. Uh, Just like you were talking about, they can repeat these words that we've said to them. 
not always necessarily using them appropriately and at the right time, but you know, they really do seem to have this advanced understanding. There's other ways that kids are designed. There's kids that are motivated most by movement. There's kids that are motivated by how things work. We call them the engineers. There's kids that primary motivation is touch, that sensory input. They always have to be like next to you and on you. These are the kids that are so hard to put down. And then finally, there's that kid that's motivated by the rules, the rule follower. They can be some of the easier kids, but they can get a little bossy sometimes too, as they like to perpetrate those rules on everyone else as well. Um, And those five primary motivators, you know, and every kid is a combination of these things. We never seek to pigeonhole a kid into, you know, this is just how you are. But we do like to observe what it is that they're after in life so that we have a great way and a great framework to help explain to parents in a very simple way that, you know, you get your feelings hurt if you put this child down at the park and they run as fast as they can away from you. Don't get your feelings hurt. It's not you. They're not running away from you. They just love to run and, you know, they love to climb and they let, you know, they're just so hard to contain. Whereas somebody else's little rule follower kid would like to, you know, just sit wherever you tell them and do whatever is supposed to come next. And so it's a great framework to see not only as we compare our children. So, you know, it's just a natural instinct um, to other kids that might be at the playground or other kids their age. You can see that their motivators are really different and they behave differently. I'm not trying to force my movement kid or my touch kid or my social kid into this rule follower mold. I'm not trying to make them into something that they're not. I'm trying to help bring out the best qualities of that. That social kid's going to be charming and funny. And that movement kid is going to be fantastic, often sports oriented. These are the people that grow up and love to jog and, you know, those kind of, you know, wonderful, healthy things that they like to do. But in toddlerhood, they can be really challenging. So it's really great just to get an idea of what that primary motivator is even though they're a combination of several typically. And sometimes, you know, they explore more of the engineering side of life or more of the touch side of life. You know, they may go through times where they're a little bit more snuggly than, you know, others. Um, It's really great to have an idea of what that is. It just helps us to relax as parents and to learn how to appreciate what each individual unique child brings to this world and give them permission to be that way and try and bring out the best part of that. And we want to give them those words that help them recognize that truth. And so just these simple phrases, you'll figure it out. You'll be great at that. I'm not worried. The ingredients for making a well-adjusted child are love, a sense of structure of how life works, and being able to tell the truth. Yeah, it helps so much, this design idea, to know what kind of toddler you have or kind of kid. This is a good time to bring up the app. So I I downloaded the app. I put in my kid's stuff, and he came up engineer. And I said, well, that's probably pretty appropriate since I just went on Amazon and bought 10 light bulbs and 10 hobby motors and a pack of alligator clips, and we're building projects all the time. 
He's totally an engineer. And it gave me a few ideas about how to speak his language in a way, or at least the universe is so big of minds and toddlers and people. At least it gave me a smaller neighborhood to think about so I could communicate with him a bit more effectively and kind of know what he was about. At least understand that and and at times cater to it was a valuable thing to know. And I got that out of the app. That's wonderful. We put the app together with a little quiz, you know, just to kind of help give parents an idea of what combination of qualities and motivators their kid has. And then we talk about what the strengths are, you know, what the challenges are, a few things that you can say to this particular design that's helpful. Engineer is such a great type of design for interaction. If you break things down into a process, I know you're well beyond the potty training stage at this point, but for a younger engineer, oftentimes knowing that what they're looking for is that process, a three-step process they can understand. How does this work? Helps us to say, oh, okay, well, you sit on the potty, you go pee-pee and poo-poo, and you flush wash your hands and we leave. There's about, you know, three or four things and this is how it works. And you can see it working that way when they concentrate on that process. And that's what they're looking for. Then they tend to be a lot more successful with it. Um, Engineers can be consummate stallers. They have a designated way that things go in their mind and they don't like to be interrupted before they've completed that. So Oftentimes it's harder to get them, you know, from one activity to another. Wow. Were you at the house this morning or what? That's exactly. (laughs) Yes, they do. They stall. They're not done yet. If we ask these kids, are you ready to go? No, I've got 10 other things that I'm busy thinking about in this process. But always leaving the house in the same way, not giving, you know, a lot of warning, but saying, oh, you know what? We're going to start our engines and get out of here. And if every time you leave the house, you say that phrase, and what happens is you're ready to go. It's not, well, 10 minutes. Well, I'm going to take a call. Let me pack this bag. If we just have a very consistent process for them, oh, when I say this, it's time to go. And then they have like one or two other things. So what you do when I say, let's start our engines and get out of here, is you grab this bag and meet me at the door. That's two process that we can make consistent in life. And then again, utilizing maybe some of those secondary motivators. If this kid was also a touch kid, you know, you meet me at that door with your backpack and give me a high five. And then we get out of here. So the app kind of gives some of those ideas. And then we also go into the sleeping, feeding, tantrums, and potty training for that design. Those are usually the big ticket items that we struggle with as parents. So, you know, there's just some of those little tips and tricks that help us as parents to give our kids permission to be who they are. So I'm glad to hear that you felt like in your household that that was helpful to you. Oh, definitely. That is exciting. It is one of the first tools that we developed that does this for this age group and um, and we've been really, really pleased mm. with the feedback and the results and hope that parents will utilize that in a way that helps them to feel more effective and to enjoy their kids more. You know, here we are talking about 
the kid side of things and gently understanding the nature of that kid, the design of that kid and getting them to adapt to certain behaviors that we need, like eating and sleeping and just the basics. To turn this back to the parent, and especially the parent over 40, the older we get, the less adaptable we get. At least most people are like that. We think we know a lot about life, but kids will throw you a curve. The problem, though, for me as an older parent and most is that we're not that adaptable. You know, we want to learn, we want to get this right, but we also want to do it our way. And that can really create a clash between a very strong-willed kid who also has their way of doing things. Does the parent have to change and what do they do about that? I love being asked these kinds of questions because who do you ask this to? As you touched on earlier, like really who can you address these things with in a way that makes a change in the behavior and the stress level at home? The answer to that question is absolutely. There are ways to make things easier and less stressful And it does require us as parents to make some changes. And when we find that the changes are not complicated, that they are easy to understand, and that they have a value proposition for our child, those are typically the motivators for the parent. When we see that there is a value, there's a value in discipline, There's a value in sleeping all night, making a non-optional sleep environment. There's a value in giving a child permission to feel the human emotions of life, like frustration and disappointment. It's, It's what makes us human, and we all have the privilege of exploring what that feels like. And at different stages of life um, in toddlerhood, is the time where that tends to be (laughs) the loudest exploration of frustration and disappointment. But they will, again, you know, in middle school, there's going to be another surge of that as they figure out with the new hormones and their new understanding how to navigate these human emotions. And oftentimes giving parents the words and the structure to say, it's okay to say to your toddler, It's okay to be frustrated. It's not okay to hijack the whole emotional atmosphere of the house. You can be sad, but you can't scream for an hour about it. You can be sad, but you can't hit another kid. In the older set, when they're in those middle school years, what's happening on their face is not necessarily an indication of the intensity of what they feel in their heart. And so it's great to see that what we react to oftentimes as parents is the intensity of what we see, especially with a toddler who we know absolutely and unequivocally that the intensity of that scream is not indicative of the intensity of the emotion in their heart because immediately upon being offered ice cream, they can turn that tantrum off so quickly. It's like it never happened. And in teenagers, the reaction and response that they're having to things is not an indication of the truth. It feels to them (laughs) so much stronger than the truth would necessarily indicate. And so it's okay to just be able to recognize, you know what? I see that you're really frustrated and that's okay. This situation is frustrating, but here's the truth. It is going to be okay. It is going to get better and you're smart and you're going to find your way out of this. 
And, you know, the older kids typically just like to be heard and encouraged. The younger kids, they just like to, again, be heard and encouraged. It's a little simpler with the younger ones. Keep that really simple. Tell them the truth. And give them a place to be able to explore their frustration. Parents ask me all the time, like, oh, you know, what's the magic? Do I count to three? You know, is it time out? I'm like, oh, I love time out. I think we should put ourselves in time out as often as we can as parents. Because, you know, on the fly, we're not always giving our best encouraging statements. Sometimes your child's having a tantrum. You need to put them in a safe place with light and space make it non-optional so they can't see your face and try and draw you back into solving this problem that they're having with frustration and taking that responsibility and exploring that themselves. But then we take that time as well to take a deep breath and to figure out what it is that we really want to say to them. How can we get that encouraging statement? At Moms on Call, we call it the hug moment. H stands for when you go in, you're going to hug them. You're going to hold it. You're going to make physical contact, you know, in a in a really tender and loving way. U stands for use confident face. So, you know, I don't want you to go in there and apologize because they had a meltdown because they misbehaved. I don't need to apologize for that. I'm just going to use my confident face. And then G of hug stands for give positive feedback. Let that be nice and short and simple. They've had a chance to be frustrated. Not getting ice cream for breakfast is a frustrating affair. (laughs) If they have a minute to deal with that, we have a minute for it not to just completely dismantle our entire morning. And then when they've settled down, we get that hug moment that we couldn't have in the midst of the tantrum when they're not listening. We don't have access to their heart when they're in the middle of that screaming tantrum. It's like that teacher from the Peanuts (laughs) cartoons. That's all they hear. So we want to get our moment. We want to pick that moment when we have access to their heart after they've had a chance to feel all that frustration. And it gave us a chance as a parent to be purposeful when we had our moment and that heart was open for instruction to put something valuable in there that says, it's not me against your behavior. It's me helping you through that behavior. There's not this ideal parent who whisks through life always saying the exact, you know, correct thing at the right time and everybody's always so happy. No, there's there's beautiful chaos. It's a give and a take. Just because it's exhausting doesn't mean that you're a bad parent or you're not doing it right. If it's exhausting, <laughs> you're doing something right. You care enough. That's true. I wanted to dig in a little bit more to the expressing emotion. One thing that I've certainly started to learn more as a parent, and you just talked about, is young children especially don't have the words to express all the emotions. They may get really upset about something uh, to a screaming level that doesn't seem that important to me, but they don't know the volume knob about <laughs> you know how, how important that is or how to convey that. What about for parents? Is there an argument for letting your kids see you be frustrated and handle it? Or should you kind of go into the, feel it coming on, go into the timeout zone and just say, full stop, I need to step out? You know, as parents, we often get frustrated and handle things in ways that might not admit or might not be proud of. And then it tends to really undermine our abilities as a parent. And I think that recognizing that 
frustration, which is a normal part of life, is something that children, toddlers especially, are very interested in seeing. And, you know, when that happens very naturally, it's not necessarily a negative thing. You can sometimes find that if things got more heated than you wanted, or you yelled louder than you felt like you should, and all of us have done that as a parent in a moment, that there is an incredible value in coming back to that child and saying, you know what, I'm sorry, that that was a bit more intense than I intended. You know, mommy gets frustrated sometimes too, and it's not okay for me to yell either. And for them to see that life goes on, that there's forgiveness on both ends of the spectrum that is available in this house all the time. What we want is to find that nice balance. I think I heard it said in such a beautiful way today is that the great things go so much further than the negative. Our love for them outweighs the mistakes that we make. And we see, oh, wait a minute. No, you know what? Things do move forward. And there's kind of this rhythm to life and to parenting that is beautiful and forgiving. Right. It comes back to that notion of perfection, trying not to go for perfection. There's this other kind of closing the loop habit that a lot of perfectionistic parents have, Mm -hmm. which is fixing it. We don't need to fix it. I hear you saying that, that that's an important point. We need in some ways to let the kids figure it out, explore it, help them adapt the landscape of their own emotions, let them experience emotions. You can't experience all the emotions for them. You can't wrap them in bubble wrap and expect them to have a complete experience of life. And that never goes away. The older that they get, it is always a challenge. Recognizing that the kids are strong, adaptable, and resilient, and so are you as a parent, is at the core of being able to give them the freedom to experience life and all of its glory and beauty and tears and loudness and chaos and recognizing that those good things, being in a loving family and being able to express the truth one with another is so incredibly valuable. Giving these kids the privilege to not necessarily have to carry the weight of your ideal of perfect parenting is very freeing. Letting them discover things, letting them discover emotions, letting them feel those things, holding on to the absolute truth of what they're capable of is a daily challenge for parents. If you have more than one child, you want to be fair. It's what you've called the fairness gauge. We parents are always gauging, right? managing how fair we are with each kid. One kid takes a shorter nap and we think, oh, it has to be the same for each kid, but no, actually not. Can you expand on that idea a little, this fairness gauge idea? We have this fairness gauge inside of us, regardless of if they're twins and we want to make sure that, you know, that nap time, that if they're both sleeping for an hour and a half, one wakes up in an hour and 15 minutes, you know, they're both getting exactly the same nap time. If you went in and got one twin 15 minutes early because they needed, you know, a little more cuddle time or awake time and the other one's asleep, the other one's not keeping track. Uh Uh-oh, my brother got 15 more minutes. I'm going to 
develop some long-term resentments about that. You know, <laughs> they're not doing that. But we had this gauge inside of us as parents, like, uh-oh, you know, was that the was that fair? I gave him a little bit more one-on-one time than the other one. And we can do that even when our children's ages span decades. Well, what did I do? Well, I gave this child this when they were three years old. But now, you know, so I have to make that fair for you in a completely new time period, season of life, completely different design, trying to, you know, manage everything so fair. And so that's another thing. We don't necessarily have to make things fair. Life isn't fair. I tell my kids that all the time. Life isn't fair. And that generally works to your advantage. It's best to know how to manage things as individuals. Give these children permission to be a bit different and try and meet their needs, even if you have to do that in different ways for different kids. That seems like a really good note to end on. Very wise thought. Jennifer Walker, Moms on Call. It's momsoncall.com. Thanks so much for being on the show. Lee, thank you so much. Thank you for everything that you do to just encourage and you know bring light and good humor to some of these different issues of life. It has been a sincere pleasure to get to spend this time with you. You can find Moms on Call at momsoncall.com. Look for show notes about this episode at goingbabycrazy.live. I will also post a transcript of the show and some key takeaways right there online. So check out goingbabycrazy.live. A lot of people get the show on iTunes, and if that's you, don't forget to rate us and post a comment. When you do that, it helps us reach more listeners. And by the way, I'd love to hear from you directly. The listener feedback line is 424-254-1634. That's 424-254-1634. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. I'm Lee Schneider. Music for Baby Crazy was composed by Tom Disher. Episodes edited by Lee Schneider and Kay Vermeil. Our recording engineers are Ben Hicks and Paul Roost. Baby Crazy is a production of Red Cup Agency. Hey, it's Lee Schneider, a co-founder of the FutureX Podcast Network. Have you heard of Good Pods yet? It's a new app where you can follow your friends and influencers to see what podcasts they're listening to. So for all of you who spend too much time scrolling around, trying to figure out where is that great new show, this will solve your problems. Just download Good Pods from the App Store, pick some people to follow, and invite your friends. And you'll never be without a podcast recommendation again.